Our scripture reading for today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather this day to worship you. Lord Father, as your people uh, of NCF have uh, gathered in their homes all separately, Lord, we long for the day where we come back and worship together. Until that day, Lord, we pray that in their own homes, in their own ways, Lord Father, that our congregation is being fed and, f- and filled up with your spirit, Lord Father. Lord, I pray that you'll use me to deliver your words to your people, Lord. May they hear it, may they use it, and may they grow and trans- be transformed by it, Lord. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I would say that I was a pretty good kid. You know, I, I listened to my parents. Uh, I didn't cause too much trouble. I got good grades. I, I did mess up and fall out of line at times. But I think overall, I was good. But when I did get in trouble at school, it was because of one thing. It was that uh, I talked too much. I, I talked all the time. I was known uh, as talkative at school. I was labeled a class clown by my peers. You know, I, I loved making people laugh. I loved having a good time, and, and I still do. And that's why I have a job that entails a, a lot of talking. But of course, the teachers didn't like it. The teachers didn't uh, appreciate it. And there's this one time when I was in junior high, I believe, where I, I kept on talking. And even after many warnings from my teacher, I would keep on talking. Right? Charles, uh, quiet down, please. And I kept talking. Charles, uh, stop what you're doing. And I kept talking. Charles, this is your last warning. And I would keep talking. Until finally he got fed up and he called me to the front. He wrote a letter to my parents and he told me, uh, take this letter to your parents. It's a letter I'm telling them about your behavior in school. Had that sign it and bring it back to me tomorrow. No, this is torture for a child. It was like taking my own death sentence letter to my parents. You know, my mom could be scary at times. I knew that if I took this letter to my mom, she would definitely make me bring her her weapon of choice, a wooden spoon, and hit me. It took me longer than usual to get home that day. And I'm on my walk home, I thought about how I could get out of this situation. What can I do to not get in trouble from my mom, from my parents? And I came to uh, a conclusion. I thought, to get out of this situation, I will forge my mom's signature on this letter. Yes, my friends, a child's way out of getting in trouble for doing something wrong is to do something even worse to cover it up. I thought if I forged my mother's signature, then my teacher would think that my mom read the letter and my behavior would change, and my mom would just be none the wiser, and she would think I was still a good kid that followed all the rules at school. So when I got home, I went straight to my room, got out a piece of paper, and I started practicing my mom's signature on on that piece of paper. But there was a problem. 
and the problem was my hand kept on shaking while I was writing or trying to forge my mom's signature. You know, deep down inside, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Then another thought came into my mind. What if the teacher calls the next day to confirm what my parents, confirm with my mom that she actually read this letter? And if everyone finds out I lied, the situation would be even worse. I knew my forging skills were not that great and there was a possibility I would get into bigger trouble if I did that. So I had to somehow get my mom to sign this letter without really, really reading it. I had some chocolate in my desk drawer, so I grabbed that and, and I went to my mom. I thought, you know what? I would bribe her a bit, right? And this will all work out well. My mom was in the kitchen, so I went to her. I, I gave her the chocolate and said, wow, mom, you look so pretty today. You know, I, I'm a father now. And parents, you know this, if your child does something out of the ordinary, if they're acting especially nice, then something, something's up. Right? They're trying to cover something up. I gave my mom the letter and told her, you know, this is just a, a standard letter from school. Uh, you know, you don't have to really read it. There's a lot of English in, in there. You don't want to concentrate. You don't want to read that. You just have to sign it on the bottom. And of course, when I say this, my mom concentrates even harder on reading the letter and so she read the letter and after she finished she just said one thing to me get the spoon that night as I lay in bed my mom came to me and she said this at school follow the rules of school at home follow the rules of home she said I didn't have to say that she was pretty or give her small gifts just do as she asked if I really wanted to make my mother happy, obey the teachers at school, and obey mom and dad, obey parents at home. To my mom, it wasn't kind words, it wasn't the small gifts that I gave that showed her that I loved her, but it was my obedience to her. And when we look at the passage for today, it is the same with God. You know, God doesn't mind our offerings, but de desires more so that we obey Him. You know, the book of 1 Samuel tells us how the kingdom of Israel was made. Israel was led by Moses, and then it was led by Joshua, and then it was led by the judges, and then the priests. But after a while, the Israelite people wanted a king like every other nation. And God was saddened when it hurt this, because when the people started asking for this, it meant that they had rejected God as their king. But God still did as the people asked. And he made Saul the first king of Israel. And when we read the scriptures about Saul, it tells us that he was good looking, he was tall, he was a head taller than the, the next Israelite. And when he was chosen, the people of Israel were thrilled. Any way, which way you looked at it, Paul looked like, or sorry, Saul looked like a mighty king. He was perfect in form, but in his heart, he lacked something. Saul was a person that we see uh, make, make, making mistakes continually and falling further and further away from God. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we begin to see the deterioration of this relationship between God and Saul. 
In this chapter, we see Saul choose 3,000 men, 3,000 Israelite men, 2,000 he puts under his command, and 1,000 he puts under the command of his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan takes these 1,000 troops, and they attack a Philistine garrison, and they overcome this garrison, and they get this great victory. And because of that, Saul starts uh, sounding the trumpets to announce to all the people that they have defeated the, the, the Philistines in this one area. But that action so aggravated the Philistines, they aggravated them so much that they gathered 36,000 troops. And the Bible described it as like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They gathered so many troops and they set up a camp ready to fight against Israel. And when the Israelite army saw this, when they looked out and saw this vast army, they were filled with fear, they were filled with dread. And they began to desert and run away and hide. Saul was instructed by Samuel to wait for him to come and offer sacrifices to God on Saul's behalf. And Saul was instructed to wait seven days, the time set by Samuel. Think about how much worry, how much anguish Saul might have been in in this situation. Seeing the days pass by, seeing this army across from him, seeing his troops worried and in fear and fleeing. But still, even though the circumstance looked grim, that was what Saul was told to do. But after the seven days passed, Samuel still did not come to Saul. And Saul felt he could wait no longer and he offered the sacrifices himself. Saul was moved by the circumstances that he was in and tried to do something to gain God's favor rather than to trust and obey the word of the Lord. Of course, Samuel arrived right after Samuel, Saul gave the sacrifice. And Samuel asked Saul why he did this. And Saul made excuses. You know, Samuel, you didn't come at the time that you promised. You know, my troops were getting scared and they, they're fleeing and they're running away. And I thought I, I, could, I, I should do this and gain God's favor. But Samuel says, you know, Saul, you acted foolishly. He said, if you obeyed God, your kingdom would have reigned forever. But because you did not, God will take the kingdom from you and give it to a person after God's own heart. You see, Samuel as prophet was the voice of God. What Samuel spoke to Saul was the very commands of God. And the command was, wait for Samuel. When he comes, everything will be okay. But Saul did not do that. And in our passage for today, which takes place just two chapters after this story, we see something very similar. In chapter 15, Samuel once again gives Saul a command from God, which is to kill all the Amalekites. God was going to bring judgment upon them because of how they treated the Israelites during the time of Exodus. The Amalekites were raiders, and they attacked Israel as they were making their way out of Egypt and going to the Promised Land when they're on their way to Canaan. And this story is found in Exodus chapter 17, and in verse 14 of that very chapter, it says, God tells Moses that he will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And this judgment was now going to come to fruition. Saul was to kill all the Amalekite men, women, children, babies, and even all the animals. 
And this may seem a very harsh punishment. And we think about our God. And we think about how our God is this great, uh, good, loving, and righteous God. We may wonder, how then can he condone this type of judgment? A judgment that seems to imply a genocide of an entire people group. Well, we see in future chapters that King David also fought against the Amalekites in this very book, in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and 30. So we know that they are still around. And so what it is, is this is a type of uh, liter literary style that was popular in the ancient Near Eastern text. It was a hyperbolic style of writing to show a great victory. For example, if you were to play pickup basketball uh, with some, uh, some other people and you beat them 21 to 8, after the game, you might gather with your team and you might say something like, Oh, yo, we crushed them, or we beat, we beat them, we killed them. Well, you didn't literally kill them. It's just an exaggeration to show that you gained this great victory in, in basketball. And this is the way that uh, stories were written, these uh, war stories were written back in the day, to show great victory. And so God was going to use Saul as an instrument to bring about God's righteous judgment. And so Saul went. He, he attacked the Amalekites as he was commanded to. He fought them and he killed them. But it tells us that he did not kill the king, King Agag, and that he also saved some of the good animals as well. And God tells Samuel that he regrets making Saul king. You know, when we don't live the life of obedience to God, God's heart hurts as well. And Samuel goes to meet Saul, and Saul was so happy, he was so pleased with himself, like he, he, he accomplished everything, and he declares to Samuel that he carried out the Lord's command. But Samuel stops him and says, well, if you did exactly what God, what God asked, then why do I hear animals? Why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep? And why do I hear the lowing of the oxen? And at this question, Saul starts backtracking on what he said. He was like, well, you know, uh, the troops, and he starts blaming the troops. Well, the troops, you know, they wanted to save some of the animals so that we could offer them up as sacrifices to God. But you know what? Saul is king. If Saul commanded the troops, kill all the animals, then they would have killed all the animals. So we know that Saul is just making excuses. And we may think that saving the animals and lifting them up as offerings to God is not so bad. But what was the command? Kill them all. Samuel heard Saul's excuses and in verse 16 says, Stop! Stop! Stop making excuses! Stop telling lies! Stop trying to justify yourself in why you did not obey God! Perhaps even stop what you're doing and turn back to God. Stop and obey the Lord. Because this is not what God wanted. This is not what God had commanded. And then Samuel says to Saul in our passage for today, and I'll read it again. And he says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king.
Amen. Our text tells us that God does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as He does in us obeying His voice. Yes, we should give our offering to God. But more than that, God desires our complete obedience. That when God says, do this, that we go and we do it. Our offering should not be used as cover-up for our disobedience or our sin. You know, when I was younger, uh, when I was in elementary school, my, my uh, father told me a story about one of the deacons uh, at the church that we were attending. He told me that this deacon does not tithe to the church. Uh, he doesn't give his 10% to the church. And rather what this deacon does is he tries to calculate how much he should pay God depending on uh, how he acted during the week. So he tries to calculate how much he should offer to God, give an offering, depending on how he acted during the week. So if he felt uh, you know, he was pretty good and he didn't sin too much, he would uh, give an offering of $100. And the following week, if he was even worse than he was a week before, then he would give $300. And you, you get the idea. And my father laughed when he told me this story. Isn't that funny, this deacon? Oh, he, he gives God according to how much sin he committed. And, and, you know, I laughed too. But as the years went by and years passed and I, I thought about this, I thought how some people may still be doing this, that we may be living this type of life, like our offering is hush money to God. Like, hey God, hey God, I, I, I know I, I lied, I stole and I cheated this week, but here's some offering, why don't you look the other way? Thanks. As if our offering should excuse our disobedience. You know, God does not want this offering, nor does He care for it. He wants our hearts, our obedience, our dependence on Him. The Lord Himself does not need sacrifices like other gods during this time. Even the best sacrifice without obedience gains nothing. I've heard it said that sacrifice without obedience is just an empty religious ritual. Therefore, our offering as well, if it does not come with a contrite heart, then it is empty. Samuel goes on to say that rebellion is like the sin of divination and presumption is like idolatry. Being disobedient to the voice of God is the same as rebelling against God. I don't want to do what you tell me to do. That is what disobedience is. I want to do things my way. Don't tell me how to live my life. It says rebellion is like divination. Divination is seeking knowledge of the future from spirits. And what it's saying is that disobedience is, rebe is rebellion against the hope and the faith that you have in God securing your future. It's like putting your hope and faith in something else. They're rebelling against God's future, God's outcome, and think that they know a better future, a better outcome than what God has planned. This is why disobedience is likened to rebellion, something that Saul will eventually do. It goes on to say that presumption is like iniquity and idolatry, thinking and justifying your actions because you think this is probably what God wants, that this will make God happy. And Saul did this here when he kept Agag alive and kept some, uh, some animals alive. He might have been thinking, well, God 
probably didn't want me to kill the king as well. I mean, he probably has a harsher punishment, a harsher judgment for him. And perhaps he thought, uh, God probably didn't want me to kill all the animals. It's better for me to leave some and offer them as sacrifices to him. Our word presumption here in Hebrew also translates into stubbornness. Our stubbornness to do things our way is sin. You know, uh, you know when, when our children disobey us, it's not just because they want to be little jerks or they're, they're bad kids. A lot of times I found out it's, it's because uh, they're stubborn. They want to do it their way. Even when it won't work, even if I try to explain, you know, it's not going to work if you do that. They're stubborn and they want to do it their way. If, I, if they did it exactly the way uh, I told them to do it, everything would have been okay. But they don't, they don't because kids are stubborn. You know, I was eating pizza with my kids one day. And, my, uh, and Brandon, my second, uh, who's only uh, two years old. For whatever reason, uh, he didn't get the concept of how to hold a pizza yet. So whenever he picked up a slice of pizza uh, and he, he picked it up, it would always go so that the toppings, the cheese would be on the bottom uh, instead of on the top. And I would try to correct him. No, you got to hold it like this. You got to flip it over like that. You don't want to hold it like that. And he would scream like, ah, no. I was like, listen, just follow. Just do what daddy says because you're going to regret it. No, I don't. I was like, okay. And after a while, what happens? And gravity does its work and all he's holding is a, is a piece of bread. Told you, buddy. You should have listened. But it's not just kids who are like this. You and I, adults, we are like this too. We are stubborn. We do things our way, the way we have always done it. And sometimes when God tells us to change, to do it a different way, do it perhaps God's way, we say, we don't want to. I'm going to keep doing it my way. And that is disobedience. And I want to say the same thing to you that Samuel said to Saul. Stop. Stop. Just stop. Stop before it is too late. Did you know that disobedience was this grave a sin? That disobedience to God is as wrong as divination and idolatry. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And God wants us to obey Him. And because Saul rejected the word of God, God rejected him as king. And if we continue to, li uh, to live a life of disobedience to God, can we be at all surprised if God rejects us as well? Saul was the king of Israel, and because of his disobedience to God, he was rejected. God's message to Saul was clear as day, Obey me and all will go well for you. But Saul did not obey. Samuel told Saul he would not last as king. God rejected Saul, but God had plans to bring the perfect king. And no, I don't mean David, but someone from that line. It's Jesus, God's son, who would be our perfect king and who will rule over all of us, his children. You know, Jesus would be God's forever king for us. And Jesus was a king who obeyed God. Jesus lived all of his life to please the Lord and to bring glory to his Father. 
the way he did that was not just through his miracles, his, his healings or his teachings. That's all part of it. But the reason why he even did those things was because he lived a life of obedience to the Lord. You know, Paul says, Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Jesus obeyed the will of the Father, which was for him to die and resurrect for the people so that we can be united with God once again. Even when it may have been tough, even when it may have been easier just to give up, Jesus pushed on and fulfilled his mission on earth. He accomplished what he was called to do and was obedient to God for the sake of us all. And because of Jesus, we have eternal life. Jesus was obedient in even the most torturous of trials. And if Jesus obeys God, shouldn't we also? As we model our lives and transform our lives to be more like Christ each day, shouldn't we also live a life where we trust and obey God more and more each passing day? King Saul sinned and was rejected by God. He disobeyed and he lost everything. King Jesus obeyed and was rejected by the people. He obeyed, but we gained everything. What does God command us? In the Bible, there are a lot of commands, but Jesus tells us that the law and the prophets hangs on two specific commandments. Love God and love others. Love God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. This is considered the greatest commandments. So if we live a life where we obey these two commands of God, we are living the life God wants us to live. You know, as I Zoomed with some of you, texted with some of you, uh, spoke on the phone with some of you, many have expressed the desire to use this time, to use this quarantine time to grow in your relationship with God. To not take this precious time for granted, but truly take it, take this time to grow your faith, to love God, to get into a deeper relationship with God. Well, have you been doing it? Have you been giving your proper worship to God? Can you say that you love God with your heart, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? Are you living your life for Him and trusting that God will take care of you? You know, when I go on missions, uh, there's a song that I often sing with my church members, my team members, and it's the song called, I'll Obey. And the song starts with these lyrics, and it says, I'll obey and serve you, I'll obey because I love you. You know, we obey God because we love God. Just as I shared in my story about my mom, I obey my mom, I obey my parents because I love them. If we love God, we obey His words. And that song ends saying, If it costs me everything, I'll obey. Even if it costs me everything, I'll obey. Even if I'm to lose everything in this world, I will still obey. The life we live, the things we have are given to us by God. And so even if we lose it all, we still need to live a life of obedience to God because that is our worship to Him. That is how we glorify Him. That is how we please Him. Are you loving your neighbors? And you know, to be honest, uh, I mean, I need to make a confession. During this 
COVID-19 time, I don't know if I was a good neighbor. Or perhaps another way, a better way to put it is, I don't, uh, perhaps I could have been a, a better neighbor. You know, before COVID, I feel that I was a helpful person. And not just to my friends and family, not just to people that I knew, but to strangers as well. But because of COVID and the fear of catching it or whatever, I have at times felt I haven't been loving my neighbors too much. For example, uh, I was at Fairway Market in Douglaston. This was just a few weeks ago. And, you know, everybody was in the store. They, they all had to wear masks. They all had gloves on. There's the, there are signs on the entrance, you know, keep social distancing from one another, you know, six feet apart or what have you. And I'm shopping, getting my groceries, and all of a sudden, this man comes up to me and says, Hey, can you help me find something? Do you know where this item is? And he leans over to me and he puts his phone in front of my face to show me a picture of the item that he wants. My first thought was, what, what are you doing? But I stayed calm and I looked at his phone and he had this picture of sausages. So I said, oh, he probably wants sausages. And I, I told him, they're in the back, you know, go this way, go that way. And that's where the sausages are. And mind you, this wasn't an elderly man. Uh, who looked like this was not a person that looked like they needed help. This person looked like he was he was my age, perfectly able to find items on his own, especially common items like sausages. But he said thanks, and we we went our separate ways. I see him in a different aisle, and again he calls me. He says, "Hey, can you help me find this item?" And he he shows his phone to me once again, and in on his phone is a picture of mustard. And I told him where it was, but this time, uh, you know, I, I put a little bit more force in my voice. I was a little bit more stern, kind of like hinting. I mean, not being too mean, but hinting, this is the last time. Don't come at me no more. Right? This is the last time I'm going to help you. But that wasn't the last time. Because I saw him in a different aisle. And once again, he's like, hey. And before he could say anything, I told him, bro, I don't work here. Get somebody else to help you. He got the hint, and he, said, he, he, he went on his way. I thought about this interaction. I thought, man, doesn't he know that there's a virus going around? Doesn't he know that we're not supposed to be talking to each other, that we're strangers, we're supposed to be keeping socially distanced apart? I, I don't work here. He could get other people to do that? But that night, I thought, did I? Did I fail? Did I fail in a way in not being a loving neighbor? Did I not follow through with this command of God to love others? Did I not obey God because of my fear? Because of my fear of losing something, my, my health or, or what have you? After a few days thinking about this, I thought, you know, if this opportunity comes again, I will try and love and help the best that I can. And wouldn't you know it, just this past week as I was preparing this sermon for you guys, it happened again at the same fairway market. Different person, but at the same place, somebody looked in my cart and said, Hey, where'd you get the rotisserie chicken? And I thought, God, is this a do-over? Is this a test? Are you, are you allowing me to take, do this again? And I can confidently tell you that I healthily explain to this person where they can find the rotisserie chicken. You walk down that way, 
it's an aisle one, what have you. But I'll sass without any attitude. I, I helped explain where the chicken was, you know. My brothers and sisters, we know we are to obey God. We know we are to love our Heavenly Father and His creation. We know we are to love our neighbors. That is a command we are to obey and follow. But don't just follow when it's easy. Obey and follow even when it's hard. Even if it risks something of you. Do you obey the words of God? Or do you come to church and serve, but when you go out the church doors, you live a completely different life? Whether you're a pastor, a deacon, a teacher, what have you, we have to 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, listen to the voice of God and obey. Our offering, our time, our service to the Lord, it's all great, but more than any of that, God wants our complete and total obedience. Do not think that you can buy God off with your offering. Do not be rebellious. Do not be presumptive. Do not be stubborn against the voice of God. Work hard on hearing the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Read it and listen to God's voice. Pray and listen to God's answers. Obey those as well. Obey all of God's commands, which can be summed up in loving God and loving your neighbors. Remember that King Saul disobeyed and was rejected. But King Jesus obeyed and now sits in heaven with God and assured us a seat up there with Him. When you follow the commands of God, it trains and transforms you to be able to handle even more of what God wants of us. Is God looking down upon you and saddened because of your disobedience? Or is He smiling because you follow well? I hope you all live a life of obedience to God. I hope we all live a life of obedience to God. Do not forget, God loves our obedience more than our sacrifice, more than our offering. Live all your days in obedience to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for being our God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for choosing us to become your children of light, to serve you, to glorify you, Lord. Lord, help us to become a people who obey your words. Help us to become a people who love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and who love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to live out the commandments that you have so called us to do, not just when it's easy but even when it's hard. And Lord, we ask that as we do so, that we'll be transformed, renewed, and remade to be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll be with all my brothers and sisters who, who have heard this sermon. Guide them, keep them always, and help them to live a life of obedience to you. In your Son, Christ's name we pray. Amen.